You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. everyone, welcome to the show. I am Hody. And I'm Brian. And I'm Lou. No, Lou is coming soon. That was my... <laughs> that was a terrible invitation, but there you go. Lou will be uh, joining us shortly here, give her just a, a minute or two, uh, and she's rebooted. So she's going to be right on, so in case you're like, uh, I need the left libertarian on for uh, this episode, she's coming. She's coming, everybody. She's I coming. can be the left libertarian, Hody. Hang on, let me just turn off half my brain. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who are not aware, Enemy of My Enemy is a show where we discuss current events and hot topics from a left, right, and center libertarian perspective. Um, just to kind of give you the gamut of all thoughts of liberty and see what we're thinking here. Today, we are going to be discussing the debt ceiling, which is super not fascinating unless you have people like us talking about it. In that case, it becomes very engaging and entertaining. So we are going to do our best to put on a juggling act while we discuss this one. Uh, in truth, while it might not sound like the most fascinating subject, it is actually very important. And uh, very few things we talk about have like longer term ramifications than stuff like this. So the debt ceiling, uh, just to get it all, get it all, all the specifics ironed out here. The debt ceiling was raised. It was done so temporarily. They estimate that the amount that they have raised. The debt ceiling will take us through December, so prepare to have this conversation again in two months, uh, and we will talk about it again then, uh, but that was a short-term deal with Republicans. Uh, the, every Democrat voted to pass it, and 11 Republicans uh, got their backs scratched with a short-term deal. Of course, we don't know the exact terms of that deal, but one can bet that the politicians are richer as a result. Um what it does is it authorizes Congress to spend, to issue more bonds. So what we do is we issue bonds to pay for the money that we owe people. So when you hear something like our debt is in, and I talked about this on the main show as well, but when you hear something like somebody says, oh, our debt is 30 trillion or no, it's not. Our debt is 100 or 200 trillion dollars. Um, yeah, that is all that is all accurate for depending on how you're talking about debt, even though those numbers are nowhere close. So we actually are 158 uh 7.8 trillion dollars that we owe right now. We if we were to pay all our debts, we'd have to pay 157.8 trillion dollars. Um the bulk of those is because we've paid out in social security money that we didn't have. It's funny that people are talking about like it's going to run out which is kind of nonsense talk. We it, It's $21.5 trillion in the red, so we're out of that. And, of course, Medicare at uh, $33.4 trillion there. That It's work that's been done. 
hospitals, doctors have done the work. They just haven't been compensated for the work. So, and there's, of course, I mean, even those two big budget items aren't even a third of what we owe. We just owe money everywhere across the board. Um, when I say we, of course, I'm talking about our, our federal government owes money to everyone across the board. And what we do is we issue money to pay it. So what the $28.8 trillion is, is that is the true that is what we have issued out in bonds to cover it so what we do is we get a temporary loan to pay for our existing loans and if this is beginning to sound like somebody who's really in trouble on credit you're not wrong uh we take a loan to get to pay off an existing loan but we have to pay that loan off at a higher interest rate as we know u.s national debt um those come at when we issue bonds we have to pay those out at a actually reasonably high rate. You know, when your grandma gives you a bond for $10 that she bought 30 years ago and you end up making $1,000 on it, yeah, that's that's the thing is they have guaranteed appreciation. Uh, they increase in wealth. And we issue those bonds to pay for temporary things. So those temporary things obviously come back to bite us at least every 30 years. And what happens is the comeuppance happens and we say, oh, you have to pay it now. And we're like, oh, well, we have all these bills. We need money now. We don't have it. Let's issue some more bonds. So this enables us to get further and further into debt on the debt that we already have. So it's a debt to a debt. Um, and this enable what this uh, debt ceiling increases, how many bonds we're allowed to issue. So the debt to the debt, the that's the lower number, the $28.8 trillion. Um, and it allows us to write more of those, at least mm-hmm. enough to get functioning apparently through... Uh, December. Now, for those who are worried about apocalyptic type of scenarios, the issue with the debt ceiling is it it will disable uh, discretionary spending. It does not disable non-discretionary spending. So if it is money that is required to be spent, so for example, your court systems are non-discretionary, military is non-discretionary, you know, a lot, a lot of this, uh, you know, Congress. Is Congress <laughs> surprising, I know, non-discretionary. So a lot like when they say the government's no longer going to function, I know at least the first t- few times I heard that, I'm like, what? But everything's still running except for like the national parks. Ah, yes, because then the national parks are discretionary. That's fun money. And that's a third of the budget is discretionary, voluntary money that we spend, the fun money. And so we, if we do, if we stop spending on that, that's that cuts the spending down by a third and suddenly we're solvent we're actually making money so the the federal reserve if we cut our budget down a third we actually are making more than we're spending fantastic everybody's happy except for the politicians who would like to spend some more money and of course the people in those discretionary lines of work and the people who it impacts the most some people um the uh, two of the biggest uh reasons so this was actually according to a family feud (laughs) that i watched and when polled people were like well what what are the two biggest reasons you want the government to exist and the first was parks and the second was roads which of course my roads i don't think libertarians can be surprised that that's pretty high on that one there and both of those would kind of be halted until they could get these things figured out so it actually shuts down the two most important parts of government to most people when asked about what the most important part of government is it shuts down those two things. So they can't develop uh, those any further. Again, this is temporary. We'll have this discussion again uh, to see if they can get it increased. But conversation this week rocketed to, do we increase the ceiling forever? Do we get rid of it entirely? 
Um, do we issue, issue trillion dollar coins, which was um, a strategy invented by a lawyer that Paul Krugman is touting? Um, <laughs> there, there is some, there's a lot of, of oddball issues here, and I'm going to get into a lot of my opinions. But Brian, let's have your thoughts on the debt ceiling. Well, first. The, the first thing on the trillion dollar coin is that if you're going to do that, you immediately have to put Nicolas Cage into jail prison just take them out because there's going to be a movie about it um number two if you always notice about whenever we have a government shutdown um there's always plenty of money to print signs that say that we're closed in big bold letters um warning everybody that they can't whoops sorry about that that uh, they can't go on the beach or they can't walk in the park or they can't do anything um it's all it, it's all fiscal theater uh, we have security theater uh, with the TSA. We have fiscal theater with the government. Um, the one thing that keeps coming up about the debt ceiling and everything like that is, yeah, it gets our attention for a few minutes uh, and then everyone forgets it. The reality is, is that the best way to get out of debt, uh, the, according to the government, according to most Keynesian models and things like that, is print more money. Uh, you make that death debt worth less and you don't have to worry about it. I remember when I was growing up with the first billion dollar budget, billion B federal government budget. And they were like, my God, a billion dollars. How will we ever you know, pay this? This is ridiculous. We need fiscal conservatism, blah, blah, blah. If we were a billion dollars now, uh, we had a billion dollar deficit in our government i think we would all be shocked and be like oh that's nothing it's no big deal because we've now gotten to the point where trillion dollar deficit what's a big deal and that's the reality it's it's literally a balancing game uh you're sitting there it's like having you're standing on a can and you got a board and you're balancing it out between the two number one if i spend too much money make that dollar worth less through inflation. Well, I got news for you. People aren't going to buy my bonds. I have to sell bonds. Otherwise, they have no worth. I can print off, I can become Venezuela, print off the money. And if nobody thinks it's worth anything, nobody cares. But the banks have to have play that role. And that's part of the thing I think we was talking about in the other podcast I was just listening to this morning. Um, if the banks don't buy those bonds, they are worth essentially Nothing. If you walked up tomorrow and decided to print a uh, uh, bond in Venezuelan boulevards, uh, people would mock you for doing it because nobody would buy it. So once again, it's got to have a war, a value to it, a worth that's going to be backed by something. Nobody except for the real apocalyptic models wants the U.S. government to fail. Uh, if that happens, it's going to have an incredible ripple effect around the world similar to what we've seen when other world powers have collapsed uh, un unceremoniously. Uh, and there's nothing out there that can really pick up the, the slack from what the U.S. dollar to yuan is. Honestly, it, if you think the U.S. dollar is hokey, <laughs> take a look at the Chinese currency. That's the next closest one that could take over. Um, and that's mandate that uh, that exchange rates made by the government. It's not really it's marketed, but it's got a lot of lot of play in that number so there's really no other world currency we can talk about bitcoin any type of other uh you know other any type of digital coinage that's out there it's not ready for prime time so 
pretty much this is what we're going to have to work with probably for the next generation until something comes around that's better than the U.S. dollar. And um, unfortunately, our kids are going to pay the debt for it. Um, but the thing is, is that things will increase in price and wages will have to increase with it. Now, technology wise, I think we're getting to. I, I was going to talk about this at some point was the end of scarcity, which we're starting to get starting to see things, even though our, our supply chains all screwed up right now. Uh, there's a lot of reasons behind that. But logistically, we're getting to the point where scarcity is starting to become uh, for for especially core items. It's starting to get become less and less. It's more along the lines of people don't work for that money, but or for what they're paying. But we can we can talk about that later uh, in the program. Um, but there's a lot of things to unwrap with the debt ceiling and things like that, that I honestly, I just, is it something that's terrible? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we should be more fiscally sound with our money, but to be honest, with you, it's really the only game in town. And if nobody plays that game, um, you know, the economy is going to completely collapse and who knows it's going to take over in the meantime, but I can tell you the bankers will be just fine. And so will the government officials. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I tried to, since you're mentioning the other podcast, and I, I always hate to talk about the other podcast because this Sorry. is our show, darn it. It's cool. No, I do this all the time. I, I talk about the other podcast because I just happen to have been on the main show twice in the last three weeks or whatever it is. And so, you know, we talk about current issues there as well. So there's some overlap. But I mean, I, I hate to make it be like, oh, you're missing out. Like, I'm not trying to direct traffic over there. I'm trying to take traffic from there and drive it in here. You know, I want we're you to way to cooler. Way we're way cooler. Way I mean, neat people. I mean, um, Trish and Dennis are very nice people, and I appreciate being on site, but we're way cooler. I mean, just, just it's not a matter of goodness. Yeah. They're great people. I They're mean, great I believe people. both of them are listening right yes, now. Yes, they are. That's why I'm pandering to But them we're right cool, now. right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, any world in which I have become cool and part of the in crowd is probably not a good world. Uh, so to put to put it in perspective, U.S. with, you know, we hear that one hundred and fifty eight trillion dollars and we're like, oh, my goodness. But we have almost two hundred trillion dollars in assets. It's one hundred ninety nine point eight trillion dollars in assets. Right. It, it's yeah. But you know what? The thing is, that number, though, when you look at it, it's unfunded liabilities. So mm -hmm. that's like saying, you know, it's like saying I've got a million dollars in unfunded liabilities going out over the next 20 years of my life, let's say a million dollars. Well, what is that? Well, that's, you know, food that we're going to buy and probably some vacations and we'll probably have utilities on at that point. So, you know, there's a lot of numbers in there of like, all right, you know, and besides, you don't really have to worry about Social Security because that's going to implode. I'm pretty sure right about the time I turn 65. So good timing. Yeah, good time. Yeah. <laughs> good timing. Sure. Anyhow, but like the reason I, I talk about it is to put in perspective that we are not the reason the world isn't like on edge, like the US is about to go down, like yeah. is because of this. Like we are generally worth more. The, the countries that you see this kind of collapse happen to, it does happen for a variety of reasons. And I don't want to make mm -hmm. economics sound singular, especially when we talk about uh, currency and financing, because mm -hmm. it is a, there's a lot of working parts here. Yeah. But there and so there are many things to look at. You know, you have to look at interest. You have to, you know, you have to look at 
you know, the liability versus asset issue. You have to look at revenue, you know, and of course, current events change these things, how it's allocated, how, how well you're able to stack it up. And of course, how well you can push it on future generations. You know, we can, um, I, I think perhaps the most unethical thing about the debt is that it makes your kids generation work harder. Yeah. Um, if you increase it now, the Keynesian well, idea, and this is accurate, and I don't want to. I don't want to. Well, I do want to slander the Keynesians, but I won't. Um, slander, <laughs> but, slander away. But as long as you leave them with the same like debt per person and debt percentage, that it's okay to have the debt technically increase so long as it's the same per person as mm -hmm. when you started with it. You know, like and if you say I have a credit card and two people owe. $500 on it and then you split that among 400 people or four people mm -hmm. but it goes up by 200 then every person is technically more able to pay off that credit card now because even though it increased the debt per person that owes it actually decreases and so that could work the thing is is like that's always the Keynesian excuse like and even the mainstream economists make that excuse like it's okay for the debt to increase so long as we are so far over the debt per person like we are beyond like like canes would be shocked i'm just saying like these are jaw dropping like we are racking up way 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 more debt than we could possibly populate in fact people are populating less now so you know that's kind of well, a problem for canes as well sorry go ahead, well Brian. no that's that's been the problem with places like japan who mm -hmm. has had a growing uh, growing pensioner population, but none of people working to be able to keep it going. And it's kind of like what happened with the boomers. Now I, I'm going to doom and gloom this back into the eighties and nineties. This is the people, this is the stuff that people used to sell books on CNN. Uh, the, um, basically, <laughs> um, uh, from CNN and things like that, they would all have like the coming debt boom. Oh, when we hit a trillion dollars, the government's going to completely collapse, um, you know, com totally. And it's just, and it didn't happen. And it, it's a lot of doom and gloom. But in reality, it, it's basically you're looking at that as long as the population can handle it, as long as there's enough demand for dollars. And I know I'm sounding real Keynesian here, but I'm just kind of saying their argument um as long as there's enough demand for the dollar which is still the de facto world standard mm -hmm. you know yep. you when we were in south africa we were asked not to pay in rand because that that's a currency that's going through far worse inflation than what we are you know each country can print its own money but in the end if that market money is on the open market and it's getting its ass handed to it because it's worth less compared to the standard in time you know where you want you want the one that's going to hold its value and so far it's been the u.s dollar now that could change overnight but then of course as i said you're taking out a good percentage of the population with the economy collapsing yep so. yeah there's uh i think one of the arguments that always and you're right to bring up the international market in this because this is so much of people who hold bonds you know i talk about grandma giving you the and maybe not everybody's grandparents were like mine, but at least the older generations tended to have more of them on an individual basis. They tend to be sold in mass to countries and organizations and businesses and, and things like that. And if you split enough uh, up among enough countries, then one country coming to call and be like, Hey, you know what? I don't trust your dollar anymore. I want, I want all the money back. Now that's, that can trigger 
something really bad, right? Like, I mean, we talk about like 1929 level stuff, right? You start off by a mm-hmm. run at the banks and it's like, hey, if some guy owns, you know, uh-huh. 5% of your stocks and sells them all, that can trigger the next guy wanting to sell all his, the guy who owns 4%, and then all of a sudden everybody who owns anything wants to sell theirs off, right? Right. So this is why, you know, when people are like, well, China, and, and there's a good reason, and I don't want to get into that this time, why China likely would not call our debt because it would kind of, it's kind of a mutually assured destruction type of scenario. Yeah. But if they were to, the reason that would be troublesome for us big time is because people would say, yeah, they only own, you know, 5%, 6%, 8%, whatever it is. But that can trigger other people then to be like, here's the, because here's the reason that is. If we have to pay China off, then our dollar is tighter. We have less that we can spend, right? Because we actually have to pay those bonds off. We have to. There's not like a, Maybe we can, maybe we can't. We, we even yeah. have to print the money to make it happen if we have to. Well, then our dollar saying, becomes yeah. weaker. So if our dollar is trending down, then who? Then the, right. the people who get the most from those bonds are the people who sell right now. The people who hold on to them, right. they get in more trouble. Sorry, go ahead, Brian. Well, and the thing is this, is that it when you sell the bond, you, you have to have somebody who's going to buy it. Now they can go to the U.S. government and say, you have to buy this back. Mm-hmm. And there are legal ramifications for that, but there are also legal ramifications for committing economic war on a country. <laughs> you know, there there are the one thing I keep on saying is I think we got 500 Minuteman missiles sitting in <laughs> in silos across the U.S. Um, that are just like, yeah, you know what? I'm not saying we're going to nuke our way into a healthy economy, <laughs> but. Um, but what I'm saying is that, you know, it, it would be along the lines of like doing a cyber attack on right. like the stock exchanges and stuff like that and destroying confidence in it. You do something like that. I mean, that is there are enough there are enough historical conflicts that started off based on economic warfare. And as I said, China is even though they're mostly self-sufficient now, they are still a net exporting country. And being a net exporter isn't always a good thing because two things can happen. Number one, uh, your customers can get tired of your crap. And we're starting to see that now. Other countries like India, Malaysia, other countries are starting to pick up the slack. And this is also why, you know, Beijing is sword rattling once again over Taiwan. I mean, this is this is where three years ago you could book a not a good book a flight to Taipei out of China off of many different airlines and they would fly there under Chinese flags. And now, of course, oh, well, they've always historically been a part of it. So China's in some economic trouble. Uh, we'll see what the winter looks like, um, you know, with the coal shortage and China's decision to kind of declare a, uh, a coal kind of. I won't call it embargo, but I will call it kind of a uh, poorly thought out plan with the Aussies, thinking that the Aussies would cave <laughs> and give them super cheap coal. And the Aussies are like, no, this costs money. You got to buy it. I have so, other buyers. If you're serious, then buy. Yeah. Yeah. Then, yeah. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's what I tell all my customers. If you're really serious about buying this, you know, I understand looking for the best price. But at some point, you got to make a decision. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, it's going to get. Otherwise, your, your plans you have, kind of like what we have here with our economy, are going to miss out. So, yep. Those, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, 
not helping the economy. We actually talked about this with the Haitian immigrants a few episodes ago. Uh, we are backing up global debt or global uh, trade routes because the the shipping uh, ports or the shipping carriers are sitting in our ports and we yeah. still haven't been able to upload to offload them. Yeah. And this is going to this. Like I said, this has already resulted in lawsuits because the issue is that you now make somebody else's shipment late because mm -hmm. we it's here and we can't we don't have the manpower to uh, offload them. And I just it's funny because I, I saw this in a smaller news story, but it just hit kind of ma major headlines last week. And I was like, oh, very nice. This is good. So this is also not helping, you know, the dollar mm -hmm. look favorable and solid, which means you got to issue even more debt and increase well, the infl you got to inflate the monies even more to try and cover what you got because you got less people willing to buy. So right. Right. An issue that we have here is that I know this all seems very abstract and we talked about that ceiling, but in a very practical way, I mean, you can you can trace within like 0.1% just like if, if you put up like two graphs mm -hmm. and you're just like, this is how many hours people have to work in correlation with how much debt we have. I mean, it's right there. Yeah. And so when you have more people who have to work more hours per household to just afford the same things that we had before and, and technology is gained and there's things that they didn't have before, right? Like yeah. now we've got cell phones and, you know, there's been, been a lot of advancements washing in automobiles and washing <laughs> machines. Yeah. I mean, th you know, things like that where we just say like, okay, yeah. right. Things like that where you didn't have before and we have that as kind of commonplace nowadays. Right. But even factoring in all of those things, the problem is the debt makes all of these luxuries that should be affordable much less affordable. Mm -hmm. One story that's kind of gone underreported that I actually didn't realize until this last week is we've gone from like very small amount of percentage of people living in poverty, like the one to two percent, and it's now over 10 percent now. And so people are getting impoverished because these dollars aren't just aren't simply aren't going as far. Uh, the labor shortage is another issue. We've talked about that in other episodes, but that's just we, we have these spots that we need people for jobs and we can't find them um, because we're not willing to pay them what they deserve <laughs> or because we keep getting them kicking them out of the country for whatever reason. Uh, and, and we just kind of say like, oh, there's not enough people here, I guess. But then there's too many people here because every person incurs X amount of debt. So we're kind of stuck in this place where it's like, let people in, don't let people in. Oh, there's no right answers because we tried to control this centrally. And this is kind of the problem with centralized banking is mm -hmm. that you have one person who tries to make the best decision possible. And when they make it great, and when they don't, there's no, there was no other ship to jump to. This is the ship. We're all on it together. If some, if whoever's in charge decides to poke a few holes in the bottom of that ship, you're sinking. And that that's the problem with monopolized currency. Now we, that is technically the current mean, currency monopolized. You can go out and get Bitcoin, try to pay for your McDonald's and Bitcoin and all that. Only and other in electronic El Salvador. Things. Right. Yes. And you know what? I love this and I and I am looking forward to more of it. And I'm sure the government is going to try the, to either get in on it, regulate it or stop it entirely just because the more people that jump ship on the dollar, the worse it is for them. But yeah. you, it is still pretty much monopolized because the problem is, is when you pay somebody, I have to pay them in dollars. I can't pay them in Bitcoin. I'm not I'm well, forbidden to do so. I right. cannot have a guy work for me and then be like, hey, here's your 
0.003 Bitcoin for the day. Thank you for your work. And they'll be like, oh, thank Shishima. you so much. Yeah. Right. It's not really that it's not really legal. Uh, the NFL actually had a player, uh, Russell Okung, who got paid in Bitcoin. And the guy is, uh, by all accounts, I guess, I don't know if he sold it or whatever, but had his contract uh, stayed put, I guess he would be the equivalent of like the richest man in the NFL, even after Patrick Mahomes got paid all his money up front, just because of, you know, what happened with the cryptocurrency. Uh, which is kind of a cool story. But the thing is, is even in that contract, they were still required to give him the minimum of dollars, you know? And so we just have this whole society that says, you know, it's, it's dollars. It's like saying I, you can have a private investigator instead of just the police investigation, but you're required to go through the police, you know, if you want something on the books, you know, you can have a private investigator that can help your case, but you're still, you know, you're not going to hire a private judge at the end of this thing. If you decide to press charges against somebody. <laughs> so like, yes, there's an idea that you can do certain things privately as well, but it's not really officially allowed to compete. Um, and I really wish it was because I think that that's a lot of, they talk about the free banking system, something I've been a huge advocate of uh, for a while now, there's a great two minute video of it. I may even link it in the comments here because it's such a good video. Um, but just, just kind of describes how banks are, get kept honest and how they are dissuaded from crises. And there's actually like a free banking system has one fourth of the crisis of a centralized banking system because, you know, but they still are able to correlate dollars. Cause I know that that's a big deal for some people too. I mean, mm -hmm. we, a, a huge part of why we had to get, get, the founding fathers got together. And we're like, we need a single dollar here is because yeah. things are getting pretty wild here when these currencies aren't transferring. Now I would have loved to see the free market come up with a solution to that. I'm not going to lie and say it wasn't a problem, but I do believe oh, yeah. that eventually the free market would have come up with a solution. The problem is, is when you say, Hey, hold on a sec, the free market's going to take care of it. There's usually a politician who beats you to the punch. And that's like, no, no, I get this. Everybody's <laughs> using this one. You know, and then they, they and then pick a me. winner. They pick right. a winner, and usually, usually the one that makes the biggest po political donation. So yes, yeah, yeah. or yeah, that, that seems to help the wealthy the most, or whatever. Um, but yeah, it it's been it it's been tough. Debt is a debt. Debt is a complicated deal. Debt debt is. <laughs> That's horrible. Oh. I, I think for me, the, the most unethical part about it is I just think of it in terms of hours that my kids will have to work. Um, Right. You know, for the for these increases debts. And I think for me, they say like because the Keynesian idea, you know, to say, hey, well, we'll we'll keep we'll increase the debt, but we'll have more people to split it amongst. I don't really like that either. I would love no. it when I talk about that credit card idea two people splitting five hundred dollars. I'd rather pay it down to four hundred people and have four kids, you know, like there's no and, and based on the revenue that we're bringing in, there's really not much of a reason for us to do it. I mean, we but could even what go ahead. No, 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 you're good. Now, the, the big question is, what is driving that spending? And is it is is it government going in and spending their third on defense and everything else? Or is it the trillions in entitlement spending that we're spending in Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, all these other programs? that literally have no backstop. So it, it's literally a fund of this has to be paid. Keep dumping cash into it until it eventually does. Now, 
That being said, the states are still responsible for paying those in the end. They go to the feds, the feds give them money, the fed state takes that money, pays like like you were using like the hospitals and things like that. But an interesting part about that is like uh, states like the state of Illinois, who was really in a bind, couldn't issue bonds. I mean, the bonds are going to be so expensive and nobody would want to write that bond. Oh, I mean, they're definitely places who want to write that bond. Dave Illinois didn't want to pay it. Sure. Uh, and they're in the same situation right now with their uh, unfunded pensions, which is what we're talking about here. But that's there's a backstop there that the state of Illinois can't write a bond because they know their tax revenues are going down and they're pushing people out the door. Now here in the U.S. with the federal government, you can collect zero dollars and just go ahead and print more money and pay off the debt. But unless people are paying taxes and have see value in the dollar, it's it's all a shell game. Um, it's a good shell game. It's the only shell game we have to play with until something better comes along. But that's the thing is that it, that's why liabilities like that and things like that should be funded by the states because they have the backstop of we can't print our way out of it. Yeah, and that uh, great segue because I was actually just going to talk about the spending, uh, which is, you believe me, just if you were to look at the revenue and you were to look at what America needs to spend money on and how much money it takes to get there, you would be able to balance the budget. <laughs> it's just you would. Yeah. This is not yeah. balanced because we don't feel like it. And yeah. it's not, and yes, something's listed as non-discretionary. And yeah, that's two thirds of the budget, but you would be able to get that discretionary spending down to be like, Hey, let's make sure to get those roads covered, the parks covered, whatever you want. <laughs> and then you just kind of say like, okay. And then, you know, when you, when we go by and when we do these audits, the problem is we just fail to act on so many of them. We find that, I mean, remember that once uh, this was even Donald Rumsfeld was around, but it was like, Oh, $1 trillion went missing from the department it was gone you know and September was it 9th 2001 they were announcing that <laughs> oh my goodness yes it was it was in the days before 9-11 it's what everybody's talking about right until 9-11 yeah. happened and it was weird because like it was Rumsfeld the ones talking about because normally you'd be like uh oh, freaking he did it you know what I mean and he's like boy we just did an audit and we're missing a trillion dollars here so there's things like that where you just say something's missing like we're just missing money straight up and you'd be like, okay, well find it. Right. And then you have, Hey, you've got your funding for the next, you know, 10 years. Good job. And so <laughs> there's just things like that, that they spend money on. And there's all these little things that add up all these little pony projects, all this pork, you look at any, any bill. I mean, just any of them. And there's loaded up with something, some kind of, Hey, a few bill million here, a few million there. And I, man, I got to tell you, I'm all about gender studies, but giving whatever billion, million dollars, I guess it was in the millions, but mm -hmm. to Pakistan for gender studies yeah. as part of the COVID relief bill, mm -hmm. just a bizarre choice when you are struggling. And I'm not, again, I don't want anybody to say that I'm not down with gender studies. I'm and just Pakistan saying when you like perfect spot for it. Right. When you pass a bill that has to do with COVID relief, you need to keep it about COVID relief. And if you were to just do that, I mean, heck, if we cut out everything else other than giving everybody $600, I mean, our economy would look so much different. So much. I, I don't want to say it was still a good idea, but it would have looked a lot better than it does now. Yeah. You know, 
we ended up giving away so much money. And I think it's great that libertarians called this out, but now it's harder to afford things before with the $600 because everybody else got so much more than $600 or all the big players got so much more than just $600 that your $600 now actually can't keep up with the rest. So we would have technically been better off as far as affording food, housing, clothing, all that to not give anybody any money at all. Now, did it, did it, it's pain to be paid paid later for something that bridges the gap now for the people that yeah. they forced out of work like myself obviously i still got things to do and i got bills to pay so i'll take your 600 dollars but now i'm living in an economy where if that had never happened you know obviously i'd be a lot better now and then the 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 1 trillion dollar coin which is why i say your your segue is perfect your uh yeah this is this is good here. The, the money isn't missing. It's just not recorded properly. It's equivalent of the change in the couch cushion being used to pay for some Froyo. I mean, yeah. That's and, and a I, lot of Froyo, Reinhold. It is. It is. <laughs> a lot of it was, and I did look at this, a lot of this was like back and forth transactions. So like this money was supposed to go to this guy and then it was supposed to go over here to this guy. Both those guys are in the Department of Defense. So it's like, okay, well, you owed it to yourself, I guess, and that money is missing. So I don't, that part doesn't matter where it went either way. If you were to cut down on these little frivolous charges, believe me, and just stick to the basics, you'd be fine. And so Congress is able to spend a great deal of money and stay solvent, but they just expect greater and greater sums of money for more wasteful and wasteful spending. What happens when we call them on it, when the libertarians call them on it and they say, oh, you don't want roads, you don't want parks, you don't want courts, you don't want police, you don't want medicine, you don't want social security. No, come on now. Come on now, please, please. Now, anarchists like myself, yeah, burn it all down. Like, let's just get rid of it all. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, you know, to say like, to say that we, they, what they do is they aim at the important things. And what we're saying is, no, no, start with the low-hanging fruit, right? Start with all this stuff down here and you'll be fine. But that's the stuff they don't want to talk about, right? Because they, they stack up so much of it. Um, I mean, remember those camels? Was it a camel statue? It was like $40 million or something like that. Like it was just, it was a project and it was like, oh. well, it's art, you know, you don't know how much. And it's like, yeah, but this is clearly just a bribe. Like we know that art didn't take that much to make. Yeah. And you're writing a bill here that makes them spend some millions of dollars. on it, And it's like, it's stupid. Right. So we see all this low hanging fruit. We see it happen all the time. It's, I mean, to say 99% of these big bills that they sign is probably not even accurate it's probably something like 99 point something percent yeah. is total and complete pork i mean especially when we're talking federal bills here you're just looking but, at something that's so much is non not related to the actual bill itself that it costs more than what the bill costs to pass um one trillion dollar coin is a gimmick idea the guy who invented it called it absurd uh and the reason but he said it's no more absurd than asking permission to increase the debt ceiling right yeah. and so the and so you i mean and krugman is acknowledged this and they're talking about how it's like okay well you know these are legitimate economists here saying let's do this absurd thing because it's absurd to ask permission to raise the debt now it's a very like this whole one trillion dollar coin well, what's the difference between that and print print money not really a damn thing it's no. just adding a trillion dollars <laughs> in money to say it's here you go let's give it to ourselves okay, we just gave ourselves another $100 trillion of wiggle room. And here's yeah. the problem with that and why you should be concerned about that is because what that does is that puts an extra $100 trillion 
back into their pockets, right? You're not going to see a dime of it. And money or the cost of goods always changes based on the amount of money in the system. The problem is they have that money and you don't. And uh, yeah, Brian, I'm going to let you say something real quick and then I'm going to I'm going to finish off this segment and we'll go to the next one. Well, well, the thing is, is that the balance between your money being worth less or more um, is just solely based on demand. And we're seeing that with Bitcoin and other things that when demand goes up, price goes up. When that demand goes down, price goes down. And it's the same thing here. Um, The economy would have been in bad shape without various COVID things. Because when you do significant impact on the economy, kind of almost like... um, like what happens um, in a war or something like that, uh, you have to be able to prop it up a little bit. Um, yeah, and and no, I I, I agree, uh, Dennis. That yeah, it would be nice, but of course, how much money are we you know spending in defense and things like that compared to um, the monies that go into um, Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security? We know all three of those could be done far easier and far, far more cheaply than what the systems currently are. Um, we know that the defense department could be done far more easier and cheaply, but then of course you have things like the daily mail and things like that going out and fanning the flames, freaking out saying that China has a brand new 21,000 mile per hour hypersonic missile that could nuke anywhere in the world in minutes yeah, that's 1960s technology. It's called a fractional orbital bombardment system. And the Soviets played around with it until they signed the Outer Space Treaty uh, and said, yeah, you know what? That's really not a great idea because, number one, you're going to tick off everybody with that thing, a uh, nuclear bomb flying over their head every 90 minutes. Uh, and they may put their own nuclear bombs up there. Um, and number two, it is kind of a terrible idea because guess what? Everyone sees you launching it. They know what you're doing and are going to probably respond in a way that you won't like. So it's a great way to, you know, we have a lot of the media and things like that fanning the flames to keep spending where it is because it gives them something to bitch about. Yep. Uh, tying, tying economics to anything destructive, especially mm-hmm. in the nature of like war, is something that capitalists from the beginning when Keynes was you know, proposing his idea. We're like, no, 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 no. This incentivizes war. This incentivizes violence. This incentivizes blowing people up. You know, that that we that this is going to be a mistake and this is going to make governments look for excuses to either manufacture bombs that they don't need or planes they don't need. I mean, and look at the US and for any of those who have seen the boneyard from like space, like we have wow. so many fi- oh hit me, Brian. <laughs> I was going to say the boneyards actually exist for good reasons. Number one, they they do keep parts in storage, um, you know, for for other vehicles. Uh, the boneyards are actually a great location for that to keep them in a high dry climate, so you don't have to keep them indoors and pay for all that storage and crap like that. So. Sure. But do you think we need that many planes? Do you think we need no, that many fully I, functional planes that we're building new ones every year when we have this fleet already? Well, if you look at the planes that we're flying right now, we're retiring a lot of the B1s and stuff like that. The B52, right. God, there's B52s there in the earth. They're older than me. 
that should be scaring the hell out of anyone. <laughs> um, but the reality is there, it's a good plane. It's like the, it's like the, the video uh, side by side, the pictures of the Chinook landing in Saigon, pulling people off the roof. And then the same, a similar Chinook, not the same one, but a similar Chinook, pulling people off the roof in Kabul and it's you want to say to yourself you hate seeing government spending but damn that's a good platform that can run for 50 years and minor upgrades to avionics and it just keeps running and running yeah there's no need for us to have a billion bomber planes but people love feeling warm and fuzzy and and that's what a lot of countries do is they like to print that off to say how awesome they are because look at our army so i mean the military will even say we don't need it right like they're like hey we don't need that many tanks and then congress will be like yeah you get that many tanks and they're like we don't have enough pilots they're they're making a new tank so these are going to be outdated next year doesn't matter build yeah. them anyway. and you're just like i don't yeah. okay but here's the thing is it grows the economy yeah. for the people who are on the inside and and mm -hmm. here's the other thing and this is what i wanted to end on was there's this there's this thing called the cantillon effect. Now you might think cantillon. So what is this effect like? If you're gentlemanly, that you become a ladies' man, right? Like yeah. different different thing, different thing. But the can uh, and it might be cantillon because the guy is French, but there's no second I in there. Cantillon, cantillon. Anyway, Richard Cantillon, and what he noticed was that hey, the people who make the money first benefit from the money. And then when the most, and then when it trickles down, those people benefit benefit from it the least until you get down to the very bottom where it's it actually hurts them, right? Yep. So there's this crossover effect where you say you've added money, you give it to these people, these people benefit from the from it the most, and then as it keeps going down and down, those people actually get damaged by the money after a certain point by the, all the money that you add. So. You've got the central banks and you got the corporate businesses, right? And so that these people, they get the best rates on the loans, the businesses, and then the banks, they get money for free. I mean, literally be yeah. like, hey, here's some money just because you've agreed to sign up for this thing that says you're willing to hold money. So congratulations. Yeah. Here's money, right? Which is kind of not at the way at all the way lending is supposed to work. There is an well, ethical way to do lending. Um, yeah. For, for those who, who were curious, there's this, if you're really big on lending and want to get super into economics, this is kind of pushing what even I was able to understand. But um, the theory of money and credit by Ludwig von Mises is probably the best explanation for how ethical lending is supposed to work. Um, yeah. It's, but it's tight. <laughs> it's, yeah. And, and, and the thing that runs into it is that, of course, that you're running financial institutions that are basically built on whims of their populace, uh, of their customers. So it's not even a factor of, oh, is Chase going to have a run on its banks tomorrow? They probably aren't. But a weekend, you may have a bank that goes out and has, a, you know, the stupid commercials that said, you get 10, 5% back if you buy 12 aardvarks with a free yak, you know, on, on altering Thursdays. Well, if everybody goes out and buys 12 aardvarks, you've got to have that money to pay for those aardvarks. You've got to be able to pay Visa, be able to pay the merchant and stuff like that. So there is a, there are good reasons for that, for, for the monetary system and the markets that exist to be able to do 
immediate loans to these institutions so that they have the financial assets on hand. Because otherwise then <clears throat> you're sitting on a pile of cash that literally is doing nothing except you're paying money to the government to borrow it. These short-term back and forth loans these banks do is actually very healthy because it still keeps the money in the system and the banks are incented to get it off their books as quickly as they can. So it goes right back into the system. Now, of course, it's all a debt. It's all a house of cards. So like what we saw in 2008, where pretty much the money market was going to dry up and there was going to be uh, uh, we may not actually have dollars in there to loan to the banks. <laughs> so that was the concern Bush had. But I know. yeah, there's there's. I'm not saying that the way it was set up was without reason. And I, oh. I try to stress this when I talk about economists that I don't like, that they still have a very good point, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, they still have a very good, usually the idea is, is, is sound, mm -hmm. right? Like, or, or at least, and even like the fallout from the idea is sound. But my problem is the idea itself. I do not like, you know, Keynes did not, Keynes did not really disagree that there would be more wars and violence and preparation for war in his economic system. And so my problem with Keynes isn't that he's an idiot. My problem is that anytime you design a system that incentivizes violence and war, that's not a very good system or that's not a system that I like. You know what I mean? It might function in your head the way that it works, but I don't like it. You know, and so when you make a system that you said, I mean, you'd be surprised, you know, a lot of people are repulsed by Karl Marx and I find him a reprehensible individual. But one of the biggest reasons isn't because he was stupid. It's because he said, like, well, if we do that, obviously, they'll starve like millions of people to death because you got this. And that happened. And you're like, OK, so we knew it would happen. It's just I don't like that. Right. So like a lot of the a lot of what we talk about economics, especially when you're dealing with economists themselves, is less about opinion and more about what is like you deal with a lot of ethics when it comes to economics more than you would think, because there is so much agreement in economics. I mean, you got one, one of the, I love one of the people I love the most on economics is Thomas Sowell. And he's great at explaining things for a little, little, Hey, I I'm reading, I'm, I'm self-training. I'm, you know, I didn't go to college for economics or anything. I'm reading at home and I want to understand it. He helped me bring it up to, up to speed. And he was so great about using every single kind of economist out there that it made me want to study all of them because they've all got a very valid point, yep. but it does come down to a matter of opinions. Now there's some things where they say like, and this will generate happiness. And then at that point, you've got to get a matter of opinions. Uh, yeah. Mutualists, you know, I, I'm aware that when you talk about Prudhomme, you mean the different thing than what I talk about with Prudhomme, but like, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to replace entertainment with alcohol. It's like, it's, it, and so for me, like, that is an idea he had, and that's an idea that I find wrong. Would his system work? I guess theoretically, maybe, but you have to assume that alcohol makes everybody happy. No, yeah, that's the thing. And I think that was a popular misconception back then. Alcohol, we booze up everybody. The Russians tried running that under their economic system right? for 80 oh, yeah. years, and it didn't work. Seemed like such a smart idea to just get everybody wasted, right? Yeah, yeah so, like, who cares? We're getting good booze. We don't care. Right. So, like, a lot of this is, like, I, my issues with Paul Krugman is rarely that he is wrong. It's that oh, uh, from, from an economic standpoint. He's wrong from a moral standpoint. I mean, oh no, he's, he's wrong from guys. an economic standpoint. No, he has times. said certain things like the internet is a fad. <laughs> like he has famous, like stupid predictions, right? Oh, but, like his, yeah, 
but there are times when you know when we're like talking about like rent control and he is pretty good at grasping exactly what rent control does and understands that all the problems that libertarians have with rent control are real problems that really exist he just doesn't find those problems offsetting enough to dislike the concept of federally controlled rent control and so i'm like uh, you know so for me he and i butt heads but at least i can read him and understand him anyway the issue that i'm getting at the issue that what i'm getting at here is we kind of do have an unethical economic system that needs a lot of changes and i to make it moral it's going to be more than just a couple of slight changes because right now it's just out of control we're putting so much on our kids we're making them work harder and harder to get less and less and the people in charge don't care because as brian mentioned they're insulated they're protected they have these systems in place if the dollar completely falls apart and gets deleted as much as many libertarians might and I'm aware even I probably sound like that would be amazing sometimes. They're going to be fine, right? Like these are the people when you look at when you look at any country that has collapsed, look at the people that are not worried about their buildings burning down and the people coming for like for them. And those are the people that are in, were in charge before, right? That, that kind of put everything in place that they're like, hey, if anything falls apart, let's make sure we're okay, right? And we're only playing with their lives. We're not playing with our own lives. A lack of skin in the game is really why Congress uh, is really why I have a lot of issues with them making the decisions that they do. Because if it were to hurt them as well, if they were to tie their own success, and, and I know elections were supposed to do this, but it doesn't. Because guess what? You lose an election, you win a book deal. It doesn't matter. Like it's it, 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 none of that is none of that is relevant. And so the issue is, is that you're supposed to have skin in the game. They don't. So they play around with lives and money and things that won't affect them as much as it affects other people. They are the ones in the Cantillon effect that are at the top. When they add this new money, they say, look who benefited from this. And some people do, right? Like the corporate executives at GM have benefited from it. And Wells Fargo benefited from it. And, you know, I mean, all the big banks, because those are too big to fail. They benefited from it. When who, who hurt then? When we look, when I pull up the debt clock or when I pull up something and I say, well, who's working harder now than before? Because it worked for them. They've got more money and wealth than before. They've got more luxury homes. They've got more houses. Okay, well, who did it hurt then? Who's had to sell down their old apartment and downgrade into a smaller apartment? Who's making their kids share the same room when they had separate rooms before? Who is now working on Thanksgiving and Christmases when they used to be able to get those days off? Oh, that's us. That's the normies, right? That's most people, you know? And as we have these numbers now that we've climbed into you know, over 10% of our country living below the poverty line. I mean, we're just, we're in a really sad place that even if you're a middle income person, you deserve so much more than what, than what you've got because of the way we set up this economic system, because of the way it's been executed. I guess I'll, I won't even blame the way, the way it was set up. It's the way that the people executed on it. I think that there's a lot of good economists that end up setting up. They didn't realize what politicians were. Right. Because they said, if I design the central system, you'll be capable of doing these great things. And they were right. But they didn't <laughs> because, unfortunately, they're politicians, not angels in charge of the economic system. And so they didn't make bad decisions. They made selfish decisions. Right. They mm -hmm. made decisions that hurts other people and not themselves. They, they uh, made decisions, I will say, in a lot of cases, they made politically expedient decisions that probably, yeah, with with a little bit of forethought would have been, yeah, we should have done something different. So but that's that that's just 
politician human nature. Um, can you call a politician human? No, no, no. no. I'm not going <laughs> to use that kind of language. Monster nature. Yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will hope that Lou logs on, and if not, it's just going to be Brian and I having a pleasant evening together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hang tight, and we're going to give you a piece of our mind in just a moment. All right, everybody, welcome back from the break. I appreciate you taking the time out to speak with us. Today, I am going to talk about John Gruden who was in, uh, I, I love this because it went to main stories, like of Yahoo's top like seven stories. Three of them were about John Gruden at one point. And I'm like, oh, I, I love this when something about sports makes it to the mainstream because this is fun. Unfortunately, he didn't do it because he did anything sports related. He did it because he did something email related. Um Oftentimes I've talked on the show about when the PC crowd goes too far and when they kind of take idiotic stands. However, in the case of John Gruden, I get an opportunity to kind of take the other perspective on it. Um, John Gruden released, uh, had some emails released, started with one by the uh, Wall Street Journal that released an email where he called, he said that Damari Smith and he called him, Damari Smith has lips like Michelin tires, right? Now, obviously, Damari Smith is a black person. And to say that kind of thing invokes some racist imagery that everybody's kind of aware of. Now, one of the things that went by the wayside, because everybody's focusing on the lip comment, was how childish this was. He called him an a dumb Ari Smith, like D-U-M-B Ari Smith in the email. Like, he's just like being a little kid. Like, dumb Ari Smith as opposed to Damari Smith, which is his name, right? So it's like, oh, you're so clever. You called him dumb as part of his name and then insulted his lips or whatever because he, you know, he works for the NFLPA. And um, so that was bad, right? He gets up there and he says, hey, I don't have a racist bone in my body. You know, it's one of those things where you say, you you aren't aware that there's a change that needs to occur, but he got to keep his job actually for that weekend, right? Like he got to stand up there and say, and say, you know what? That's not me. I don't have a racist bone in my body. Everybody accepted the apology, except he kind of didn't apologize, but yeah, <laughs> he stood up there and was like, and, oh, all right. Yeah. And then the bears beat him that weekend. I was and so then happy. the bears whooped him that weekend. And then, uh, a couple days later, the uh, New York Times then releases a ton of other emails where uh, uh, I wish I could yeah. put it all in perspective, but you've got you've got transphobia. You've got I mean, he uses the F slang word for a homosexual. Um, he calls Roger Goodell a pussy for like allowing homosexuals in the NFL or for allowing women to be referees or take coaching jobs. It's as bad as it gets. Like, it's one of those where you're like, if you thought the first one was bad, but you're like, hey, maybe it's a learning situation. This one was just kind of like, oh boy, this guy was terrible for a long time and we did not know. And uh, here's the thing. I understand. I would rather see John Gruden change than John Gruden get fired. However, John Gruden closed the door on himself because instead of getting up there and being like, man, I've been insensitive. And there's a lot of other stuff that I said that is going to be a problem. He got up there and said, nah, that ain't, I hate that that ain't me, right? But that ain't me. That's not really who I am. 
you know, that's not that, you know, I I'm sure that looks bad and I'm sorry for how it looks, but I don't, I'm not racist at all. I'm not a bigot, you know, I'm, I'm fine. And then all the rest of this comes forward and it's like, boy, not only are you probably racist, but you are also very misogynistic and very homophobic and very transphobic as well. Mr. Gruden, <laughs> like there, there's a lot of issues here with you. And, and so the problem is, is that I love to see people change, but when they close the door on themselves and say, no, I don't need to change because I'm not that way. Well, the first step to recovery is acceptance, right? Accepting that, hey, I made a mistake. Something I talk about a lot about in my past is that I used to be a misogynist. And the reason I talk about this is because it's important for people to understand and know that that was wrong and I changed and I improved and I got the help that I needed. And I saw, you know, I talked with friends and family and read books and tried to understand more to build. And there's a journey there to get there to the point where you're just like, oh, I don't even care about that anymore, right? Like, I, guy, girl, it it's, means nothing to me, right? Like the entire thing of gender, whatever you want to be called, I'll call you, whatever, you know, I, I just, I, I am so down with all of it. But it took a while to get there because I had these old hangups. And we hear a lot of these hangups today by the same people who use these, you know, that interact on social media by saying like, no, I'm not going to be forced. The PC crowd is making me do this, that, or the other. And they sound like ridiculous arguments, but they're arguments that like, I kind of felt were accurate at the time that they're like, no, women tend to be like this. I need to be allowed to say it. Well, you're assaulting my free speech. You're assaulting my, you know, that my, this is my job. You're hurting my livelihood just because I have some poor opinions. Well, we don't want to hurt your livelihood, but ultimately your opinions are hurting other people. He was coached to the only openly gay player in NFL history. And obviously that did not sit well when those emails got released. Um, that's, that's really hurtful. And, you know, unfortunately, even, even in his uh, resignation letter, we didn't even get so much as a press conference, which isn't cool. But, you know, in his resignation letter, it was just, yeah, I, I, I don't want to be a distraction, I guess. As opposed to taking ownership for what you said, right? Which is saying, like, obviously I said some terrible things and I need to change. There's the, the ownership wasn't there. I was okay with the legacy of John Gruden. A lot of people were on the fence of if he was great or not. Did he inherit a great team from Tony Dungy and win that Super Bowl? Uh, there's a good chance that he did. <laughs> did he? But he also yeah. was constructing the Raiders. Now, did his backup coach simply coach those Raiders better than he had them coached? And that's why they got to the Super Bowl to play Tony Dungy's Buccaneers that he was now coaching? And then he takes over as the Raiders coach and has some pretty poor seasons. Uh, when we talk about the Raiders, it's uh, prior to Gruden getting there, they were the worst. I, I think they hadn't had a winning season in over 20 years. And I believe they had the worst record in the NFL during the 20 year span from 2000 yeah. and like three. I remember because it included the year they made the Super Bowl. And so it was like, oh, wow. So like even including that year, they still had the worst record of all teams like in the like. So problems, obviously. Um, so he did inherit a very poor team. Did they perform averagely? Yeah. And did he make a bad team perform average? Maybe. I mean, his backup coach just whipped the crap out of the Broncos today, which I'm not super stoked about. But, you know, that might say something about his coaching ability. Who knows? This isn't about his coaching ability. This is about who is a person. And uh, your freedom of speech isn't under assault here. Like, you're allowed to say whatever you want, but people are going to react however they would like to as well. And he, uh, I mean, heck, not only did he not get fired because of his freedom of speech, Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, even said, we didn't ask for his resignation. 
Even after all the emails came forward, it's he chose to do this. I'm accepting this. I think he even said something along the lines of, I don't even like it, but I'm taking it and we're moving on. So this guy got a lot of chances. I mean, and, and probably a lot that he shouldn't have gotten. And it's okay to stop somebody and say, hey, listen, we need to have a fix, you and me. We need to have a conversation about how this makes people feel. Because there's a lot of people that felt this way. I mean, they felt strongly enough about him at the time to keep these emails around, right? And then say, like, I really didn't like this, so I'm going to keep this email around. And then when one person comes forward, I mean, this is like Bill Cosby or Larry Nasser. I mean, you find out that there are, I mean, in Nasser's case, hundreds of people who he molested and nobody can, and it's, it took one to three people coming forward before the floodgates opened, right? You needed somebody to crack a hole in there to be like, man, I really didn't like the way he resp- he talks about, you know, Damari Smith. I don't like the way he talks about black people and how they look. And then that opened up everything else. And so this is the issue is you kind of, there's a toxic there's a toxic culture in sports. <laughs> I mean, and believe me, hey, I'm in the video game industry. It's there in video gaming too. But I was watching the uh, WNBA and, um, you know, the, the Chicago Sky one. It was awesome. It's their first championship. Uh, they beat the Phoenix. Uh, um, yeah, they beat Phoenix. Uh, Mercury. And it was, it was a cool, like, it was a great series. I had fun. I enjoyed it. I went on Twitter to wish congratulations. And, like, the top 18 comments are all, like, did you know that the NFL is on today? Why are you even talking about this? Why are you showing this? You know, oh, look like look like all those men out there did a great job. Like just just the most toxic. And these are like the top comments on, on the and I'm just like, man, like there, there's toxic culture. But this is how it changes by calling people out and saying, I'm sick of seeing it and I'm sick of dealing with it. And you make other people feel bad. And we're not going to deal with it anymore. And John Gruden's paying a price. Um uh, good, <laughs> uh, good riddance. Apparently, I didn't hate him before. I certainly don't love him anymore now. Um, I believe he was the. It, there was a story talking about how he is now the most requested tattoo in the United States, like for the last <laughs> like week or whatever. So, like, people are requesting a tattoo of John Gruden now, not when he was coaching a Super Bowl team, not when he was, you know, leading Derek Carr in offense and everything like that. They got the tattoo of him after these emails came out. Like, this is what they want. And they, like, dude, that is toxic. If you feel like some kind of need to defend him, just, just fix yourself a little bit. Anyhow, I had a long one there, but I have a lot. I had a lot of thoughts about the John Gruden situation as it, as it unfolded. Brian, I know you're a sports fan, so I'm sure you can hang with this one. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I kind of want to agree with him on calling a couple of the people in the NFL pussies, but uh, no. <laughs> oh my, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no, no. Plug that back in. Um, I'm going to agree with one segment of this. Um, Derek Carr. Derek Carr was asked very distinct. What do you think of the emails being released? And he said, I think you ought to release them all. I would love to see the emails released on all of the NFL head coaches and the NFL PA and the NFL leadership. Go ahead. If you're going to release one of them, release them all because you know, the thing was this either the New York times had them for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm guessing it's for a while. If they had them for a while. They sat on them until the one email came out. So again, if, if you've got all those emails, come on. Go ahead and go through the rest of the NFL. Let's get it over with. Yep. Um, number two, you know what? 
what he said was terrible. Absolutely. Um, in the context of 2011, I think some of the emails started in that time frame, stuff like that. Yep. Um, we have seen a great social change in that time frame. So things that were probably more acceptable in 2010, 2011 time frame, they are now. Um, yeah, he missed an opportunity. Uh, Chucky missed an opportunity to be able to say, hey, look, you know, life was different. I'm a different person now. Yes. Let's move on from there. But um, no, I mean, it was handled terribly. Um, but it's just like anything else. These guys are multimillionaires. They're not wrong. They're not questioned on when they're wrong. And when they're wrong, it's always someone else's fault. Um, I think he was a good coach. I think removing him like Tampa did from the uh, ring of, uh, you know, the the ring of fame or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's their business, obviously. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. In fact, his players have come out. I think, I don't know. Um, a few of them have come out and still defended him, saying that he was a good coach. They never had any problems with him. Um, but, you know, it's kind of this one thing where it's like, I would love to see the rest of the emails get released because I'm pretty sure there's probably going to be a lot of interesting things. I've heard NFL coaches talk off the record a couple of times. It's pretty brutal. Yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> it's not nice. To give you a direct example to what Brian's talking about here, one of the big deals that everybody's talking about is he... So one of the other things Gruden did, and this might even be worse than any other words he said, he forwarded some of the nudes that they got from the... Uh, Washington uh, oh, football team yeah. cheerleaders, okay, which was taken under. I mean, those women did not want to do it. These were not willfully, happily taken photos. These are really, no. this was very, it was really bad, right? And so Dan Snyder, the owner of at the time the Redskins, it's now just the Washington football team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how long does it uh, take to come up with a name? I mean, come on, you know, two years, <laughs> two this years. space for rent, just call them the Washington, this space for rent. Yeah. <laughs> the Washington, I, I think, just call them like the T Mobiles, right? Like rent it out or so, yeah. you know, just advertise it out. There it's like go. we're working on it for two years, so for now, we're the anyway. Um, but those like, here's the thing he's getting in trouble because Gruden forwarded those to other people. Now that's, if you get nudes from that are not willfully taken, the right thing to do is to call it out and whoever gave them to you, not forward them to other people. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing though. <laughs> Gruden was given those photos yeah. by somebody else. We don't know who, but what Brian is talking about is true. We want a glimpse, but if we're going to get a small glimpse behind it, show us the whole thing. Open up the curtains and let us see it all. Yep. Don't let us see the nudes. We don't need to see the nudes. Yes, I don't want to see the nudes. Yeah. Yes, you can hide the the images, <laughs> but at least let me know who is sharing them. Why? Like you know, I want to see. I want to see it because if Gruden's like this and he shared it with some people who were just kind of like meh, then what is that culture like? I mean, because I, I got to say, I mean, even back in 2011, if I get nudes that were not taken with with the people's express permission. I am not going to be a happy camper, but he's in a culture where, hey, that's funny. That's cool. That's hilarious. Or that's hot, maybe even, right? Making these poor women uncomfortable, right? Like it's a gross, there is a gross culture that is going on and Gruden is, was part of it. He was certainly a participant in it and he certainly was not the only one, right? Like, and so what we need to do is, you know, take a look behind the curtain. I remember there was one in baseball. There was one time when uh, one person, talked about who they gave steroids to and it implicated one person on at least every single major league baseball team. And you just kind of say like, that was one source. What happens if we pull back the curtain 
a little more, right? Like what, how wrong is this? You had the NBA where it's like a couple of the officials came out and were like, yeah, there's some gambling involved here and we're paid to fix things. And it implicated like a third of the referees or you had the FIFA incident. Oh my goodness. I mean, that was global. That was bigger. <laughs> if, if Americans were into soccer, which we're not, unfortunately, but if we were more into soccer, like this would have been the most mind blowing scandal, but like to just find out that these matches are largely fixed. And like to just be like the officials are fixing them in a certain way to to give advantages to certain teams, paid to let things slide, paid to make these stories happen. And and you just kind of say like, and that was just one source. So what if we pull back the curtain on the entire thing? How bad is it? You know, like we don't know until you get the, you know, you can't know. Of course, Brian and I are theorizing, but everybody kind oh, of is aware of this. I, There's I good reason. I have a theory where the news oh, yeah. originated from. I know exactly who. Virginia McCaskey, the owner of the Chicago Bears. R really? No. Oh. <laughs> She's a 90 plus year old woman. Oh, right. I was like, what? Wait, what? What? <laughs> you got me on that one. I was <laughs> No, I it's 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 funny. And I I know one guy who used to work in NFL IT. Um long, just a kind of periphery type of guy. And um, yeah, they were pretty screwed up. Um he said it was it was a very much a doggy dog type of thing, but it's still just a mess. And there's a lot of things that go on in NFL teams. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of things that go on in the NFL that are definitely not would not be would not be liked in normal business. Right. Um, but it's just it's an entertainment business. So there's a lot of behaviors that are conveniently forgotten just like the entertainment industry and how many kids were uh sodomized raped in the entertainment industry for how many years and still going on um and people still just turn a blind eye to it so it's, it's unfortunate but i'm a big fan of you know what if you're gonna crack out the emails from one of them crack them all out at this point because I, i'll be honest it's also not fair um to a point um he did say those horrible things we know there's probably gonna be far worse from other coaches uh other teams and have them come in right now uh with the appearance of also seeing that they called that it wasn't the racist email that got gruden in trouble it was calling roger Gatella pussy that got him in trouble right <laughs> so you know, you know it, it kind of says all right you know if that was really what got Gruden in in hot water with the NFL and the media, yeah, let, I'm sure Roger Goodell's been called worse in email. <laughs> Let him out. Let's find out what happens. Right. And you think God, Goodell's now incentivized, right? He's like, oh yeah, now I want to see. Now I, uh, I think for the sake of his sport, he probably doesn't want everybody to see because then you'll see what a cesspool it kind of is behind the scenes. Um, yeah. These are these are toxic cultures. I think there's a good uh, case to be made for why we need to. Why we need to be vigilant about fixing our culture. I've talked about this before, but you know, when you see it before, it doesn't have to be cancellation every time. No. Uh, in fact, I, I prefer not cancellation most of the time. I want to see people go through these changes and these journeys. This isn't about, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. is great talking about this, but we aren't going to win and change that culture with the numbers we have. So we need to work on getting the numbers, right? And how you do it is you get in there and you make change and you tell, you encourage people to change. You push on them. You press on their hearts. You press on whatever they're thinking about and just saying, hey, listen, have you thought about it this way before? Thought about it that way before? And it might not hit right away, but it gets there. You know, I didn't end 
my journey to end my misogyny didn't happen in a night. It probably took three years, maybe, to get fully, you know, I, I was aware it was bad, like, probably after... Were you telling you to make you a sandwich? I mean, what were you doing here, Hody? I'm starting no. to get kind of worried here. <laughs> no, I just, you know, it, it was straight up like this. Um, I don't believe that, I never believed that women were lesser people. I just believe that I did not like them because the gifts they had were not gifts that I appreciated. Oh, okay. And so like what women bring to the table, I'm just like, I don't care about that. Like it was the whole, I mean, uh, I'm describing a very okay. bad place in my life. We right have, okay, we don't have to go there. We don't have to go there. Okay. I, I was no. thinking something like, you know, like I joke with my, I even made the joke tonight to my daughters. Uh, let me get, I, I've raised three uh, very strong, independent women, uh, been <laughs> part of their upbringing, and I've got my wife who's wonderful with them. Um, and I always make the joke for them, um, you know, like they're doing stuff. I'm like, oh, you're going off to do some women's work, huh? And I fully expect to get the death glare from all of them. And I do every single time. So it, <laughs> it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Um, someone could call that casual misogyny, but it's an inside joke. <laughs> you know, it's one of right. those things that my, my daughters know. I know they're fully capable of taking on the world and put, you know, asserting themselves. Uh, so, I, you know, it's, yeah. I'm and you bring up a good point. Like a lot of people, and I don't, I mean, a lot of people are getting into humor these days and about what, what humor is acceptable, except humor is not. I think if you are telling the joke because it is so not true that it's ridiculous, mm -hmm. then like that's kind of funnier than I think a lot of people are like, what? I can't tell a racist joke when you actually are like kind of putting the person down in the race. It's like, OK, well, there's a difference between the two. One's absurd. Yeah. You know, which is why it's funny because it's so ridiculously not true. And the other joke is like, wait, but you kind of believe that. So it, it, is it, it a joke? <laughs> it, it's it's intent. Yeah. Are you intending to hurt somebody um, with the joke like Dave Chappelle? Dave Chappelle has been um, getting browbeaten for what I thought was a pretty good special. I mean, it was funny and there's topics in there, but the thing was, there was always topics on the best comedians. George Carlin in his heyday was one of the most offensive comedians, but he was a, equally offensive to everybody. Hell, let's play Eddie Murphy back in the eighties and see how well those jokes stand up. I mean, there was some sort of, there was some really terrible jokes about gay people back there in the early 80s but it's reference point so i mean it's yeah and, and also gets back to i'm gonna quote um norm mcdonald he goes most you got, you got a choice of what you want to hear either laughter or applause and if you're going for applause why are you in comedy you should be going for laughter laughter comes first then applause not applause then laughter yes so that that's the thing Chappelle's funny as hell uh, he is the he is how do I want to say the calmer version of Carlin, um, and, and I know Reinhold's probably cringing me saying that, but I, I mean honestly, when you look at today's comedians, he's honestly one of the best ones out there, uh, probably one of the best ever, and yeah. he just he can talk in a very rational sense about his beliefs. If you think they're misguided or not, but at least they're a conversation point, and it's kind of like what we were talking about, Hody, like you were seeing in your Twitter feed. Uh, 18, you know, uh, shouldn't these women be making me a sandwich as opposed to playing basketball? Um, you know, that type of thing. But 
is that eight is that because all the people that are on Twitter are misogynistic assholes, or is that because the algo went ahead and flipped those to the front right. to go ahead and generate outrage to get people in? Just as you know, we know that Facebook's algo is broken, Twitter's algo is even more broken, right? <laughs> so it's not a reflection of rea reality. I did not watch the sky because I was watching both football games. Um, my bears did terrible as usual. Um, Aaron Rodgers can retire this week if he'd like, please, please. I'll give I'll, I've got, I've got a stack of cash here, Aaron, go, go. <laughs> please. I, these are some high quality $2 bills that I am more than willing to make you go away. You know, anyhow, um, did, did you see him say, I own you to the bears fans or yeah. Aaron Rodgers? Oh my yeah. gosh. Uh, here's what I'll say about this. <laughs> when you are. When you are, and this one, yeah, you'll see my Twitter. I kind of, uh, when you're beating a team and, and you have a history of beating a team, um, there's such a thing as being a gracious winner and gracious loser. I will say Brett Favre, as much as he torched the Bears and stuff like that, was a hell of a competitor. And I respect Brett Favre. Don't respect Aaron Rodgers. I think he's a, I don't want to say. Um, if you're more, <laughs> you know, he's had the Bears number. For his entire career it sucks being a bears fan <laughs> but um i can tell you that Favre was a lot more respectful and you see what um you see where when he would compete he become good friends with everybody he played against him and urlacher i believe are really good friends until brian urlacher uh got canceled oh bernie mack over dave Chappelle. bernie was really good but Boy, Dave's. I think Bernie would open for Dave. I think any day of the week. That that I I cannot see ever a time where Chappelle would open for Mac. But anyhow, um, <laughs> getting off subject. Uh, but there's something about being graceful and winning and losing because it will come back to you one way or another. Um, and when it comes back to you, it's usually far more ugly. So we'll yeah, see what I happens. I have uh, I've derailed this with football talk far too long. Yeah. Brian, piece of your mind before we uh, wind oh, up. Uh, this this week in social media outrage, um, John Stewart was on CNN, and I've not had a chance yet to watch his Apple TV um, work, but I'm hoping to do so. Talking about the outrage that's generated daily in the media. Um, this gets back to social media, uh, and it cornering the um you know fine-tuning the outrage um on a personal level as opposed to you know the the cable news networks which can only fine-tune it on a global level <sighs> we've reached a point where the media has always been hungry for um ratings and eyeballs but we've reached the point now where it's only worried about, it seems like, getting more and more eyeballs. The anger this week over Joe Rogan hosting Sanjay Gupta and and the legit concern that he had. They sat there and called out CNN for saying that he took horse pace. And the funniest quote, I think, was, I, I'm rich. I can afford human medicine. Um was was pretty funny, but you see what happened uh, when 
Gupta went back to CNN. They gave him a, oh, yeah, no, we never said that. And you were awesome. And you pointed out, no, he didn't. He got his ass handed to him. Anyone watched that? Anyone who sat there three hours of Rogan sat there and watched Gupta just sit there and look like a very confused, like third year resident. Wasn't sure if he was, you know, <laughs> what, what the hell was going on. But this gets back to the social media outrage. The media and, and social media specifically are gearing us to be angry at each other. Angry at each other means more clicks, more likes, more shares, more everything. And to kind of start dialing things down, we kind of have to start taking doing it ourselves. Um, that's not the don't click, don't like stuff, but it's more along the lines of let them know that you're not going to be pestered by them. You're not going to be bu not going to buy into the anger and outrage. Um, I have seen good friends of mine who react very strongly to something. Uh, today, actually, I had a, a post um, uh, a good friend of mine put up, and it, it was concerning about uh, paternity leave and things like that for um, for uh, two uh, gay men that adopted kids and that do they really need paternity leave? And I said, and I said, you know, it's, you know, what if they, anyone adopted them, you know, it, two pe two parents, just parents adopted them. They're going into a loving home. Let them have their leave. Let them build their lives with their kids. And he understood that and, 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 and changed it. And that's the kind of thing I'm saying is that, you know, I could have very well went in there and been like, but the reality is, is that, that's not going to change things. Those 18 idiots on Twitter who are saying, why aren't they out making me a sandwich? You're supposed to playing basketball. Aren't going to change anyone's minds. They're just inflaming outrage. And that's why the algo put them at the top. So just keep that in mind when you see those 18 idiots up there going ahead and hitting the button. Twitter's done something very interesting that they're, quote, experimenting with which is the downvote button. Um, I probably ought to write a check to Reddit probably next week for doing that. <laughs> right. um, but the reality is that's another thing that's going to get abused. And um, it really is unfortunate that we're going to have this kind of ranking system. We know it's coming. Um, but reality is, is that it's one of those things where if someone's being ignorant on, on it, let them be ignorant. You can put your support and everything like that. But the other thing I want you to remember is this. On those big Twitter accounts, no one's reading them. No one. You're, 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 you're the person that you're congratulating or, or you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, isn't reading through every tweet. They're not. Uh, they're looking at the impressions. They're looking at the spread. And they're looking at how much ad revenue they could possibly generate them. So just keep that in mind. You want to see idiots on there doing stuff like that? Let them be idiots. Downvote them. Block them. Whatever. If you want to do anything really horrible to somebody, and I'm doing this to all of the uh, betting sites because I live in Indiana, and God help us, all we get is bet whatever on, on all the sports books. Block them. Because that's going to be the biggest thing that's going to hurt them in the end is blocking idiots like that. Yeah. Oh, man. A lot of good stuff you brought up there. The 
I'm I'm cool with having an algorithm that puts the top comments where they need to be. But as you mentioned, they're not always the top comments. They're mm-hmm. not even always the most reacted to comments. And here's the other here's the part of the problem that gets me. I don't mm-hmm. I don't really react to anything like negative, right? Like all these comments about calling the WMBU players men or anything. I don't I don't talk to them. You know what I mean? I, they and I do not convert. I, but, I, I would love to see the person who said that. I'm guessing they're probably the same physique that I am. I'd like to go see play one-on-one against the worst person in the uh, WNBA one-on-one and see how well they do. Yeah, I mean, it's such trash. I mean, a lot of them were like, you know, there's an NFL game going on, right? And I'm like, then you watch it. Then you go watch it and stop commenting on this. This is a place where people to talk about the WNBA. Like, why do you feel the need to come over here, egg my house, and then go back to your house? And then you're just like, well, it's just because my house is so great. That's fine. You don't need to egg my house. You know, like, like you came over here. You are the one coming. Anyway, these people are garbage, and you are correct. They were like, they were the most incel, gross, pasty, overweight. Hey, 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 I'm feeling a little offended here. Wait a minute. (laughs) But they were also butt munches, and you're not a butt munch. And and so this is why people like you and I are excluded from all this. Anyway, um, like, the thing is, is I just, I don't, um, I don't know why the algorithm keeps putting the stuff up that it does. I get when it's like, oh, you keep liking all of Spike's Cohen stuff, and Spike just liked this, and so you're probably like this as well. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I am a Spike Cohen stand, so when he comments on something, I usually do want to see it. Like it's like, hey, good job, you got that right. But then sometimes it's like you want to see the top comments on Chris Spangle's post, and I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Like let's do the stuff that I tend to interact with, right? Or yeah. I'm like, yeah, man, great point. Like thumbs up. Let me throw a heart on that. Let me let me engage you. It's usually just like you're stupid, and I'm like, why? Why is this? Why is this the top one? I. It's not even the most commented on one or the most reacted to one. And it's not something that I would tend to click on. I don't, Mm -hmm. I think there's a, Vaughn is out there somewhere talking about algorithms and (laughs) goodness knows he's right about it because they do need a fix. I'm not against the concept of algorithms because man, I'm going to be straight up. There are some like monitoring things that I love because people, man, prior to like, people tracking me and me getting cookies on my computer. Like it was just all porn. (laughs) Like it was just all, you know, (laughs) come view these sites, come view these hot women, because all they know about me is I'm a guy who's middle-aged. Yeah. Right. And so they're just like, Oh, he must be interested in porn. Maybe I'll throw some, maybe a couple (laughs) testosterone pills in there as well. You know, male enhancement drugs and whatnot, but it was just like it. And it was so gross. And so finally I'm like, yes, you know, I will allow the computer to track me and it knows I click on video games and sports. And it's like, okay, this guy doesn't actually watch pornography anymore. He's not 18. So maybe it's time to update in our heads what this guy actually does. And so now the ads that I get, I still scroll past them, but at least they're on, at least they have me nailed. Right. Like, I think it's funny when, when, and for a while there, I think Facebook did allow you to be like recognized as a libertarian. I forget if they still have that or not. But it was always funny seeing how Facebook would get confused, whether I was Republican or Democrat, because it was just like, well, you posted this and this is really anti-Trump. OK, so he's 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 Democrat. And then I get all these posts for like support AOC, support, you know, Joe Biden, support Kamala Harris. They need your help right now more than ever. 
And then I say something critical about them and the other side, it's like, do you want to make America great again? And I'm like, you guys have no idea what I'm doing over here. Like you over there on Facebook have no clue what I like, what I interact with. Stop putting that stuff to the top. Anyhow, I know you talked about that and you are right. I just, I don't know why sometimes, and, and you are correct. You know, maybe it just puts that to the top because it generates outrage. Even if it's not something I click on and interact with, it's something somebody's going to click on and interact with. And they're like, we want people clicking and interacting on our site. So here it goes. Let's have a long conversation here. The, the bulk of the point of what you said though, as far as, um, Oh, let's see here. There was something I wanted to get to past this and I just completely spaced what it was now, Brian, this is why I need to take better notes. I even have the pen right here, Yeah, but yeah, I need to take better notes, but yeah, I mean that that's, uh, Oh, Gupta. That's right. Uh, yeah, went on to Rogan, essentially said that CNN lied about calling it horse dewormer instead of not ivermectin, uh, you know? And yeah. it's like, whoa, like pretty, pretty kind of clearly admit that they lied about it. And yeah. now they're like all of in, in CNN is under investigation for journalistic malpractice. And it's uh. like, what did you open up there? Like you did. Uh, I do respect that they had a great conversation you know, like, the, and there was a good conversation there. I, I thought the Rogan interview, I thought it was good points all around, mostly. I do think mm-hmm. there was times when, I think that it gave Rogan the opportunity to be like, can we admit this is bull crap? And he was kind of like, yeah, like, yeah. you know, like, yeah, certain yeah. moments like that. And it's like, oh, wow. Like, things you would never thought you would hear them cave on. It was finally like, oh, wow. They finally admitted that that was kind of, kind of crappy. You know, I am, I mean, even like lefty reporters, I'm looking at just some of the comments here. It's like, uh, he said the lion sat down with the lamb and the lion ate the lamb or what people oh, are saying. Geez, come uh, on. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's some good stuff here. Uh, but they, just the comments about how he's doing. I, there's a super cut that someone did of all mostly cnn but all msnbc and other other calling it uh commonly known as uh, used as horse dewormer and stuff like that and it was like it it was so obvious now this is the one thing i really like about rogan's podcast is very hard to keep it's like a it's like a three-hour bout with Mike Tyson and not in the realm of I'm getting my ass beat on it, but he's such a personable, interesting guy and no person can keep it together for three hours and, 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 and keep up whatever framework they've got in their head on how they're going to answer something. Cause he's going to ask the question a couple different ways. And eventually you're going to be like, Everyone's watching this. No, yeah, we never called you. <laughs> so you were taking horse team worm. No, we never said you're gonna say, yeah, especially when you said goes, hey, hey, can we pull that up? Can we can we pull that up right now and watch them say it? Right. And you go, yeah, I gotta say, yeah. So right. We never call it horse dewormer. Okay, we call it horse dewormer. And then he gets back to CNN with Don Lemon. Yeah. Oh, and then God, it's like, Don so Lemon. and then Don Lemon calls it horse dewormer. Yeah. And and once again, Gupta doesn't correct him. So it's like yeah. he's right back to his old ways. Like, it was just mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh. He just. I I did like Gupta's story about the air conditioning guy who lost his daughter, unfortunately, to COVID and said, do you think I should get the shot? And this is an important discussion to have. And that was the first time someone on CNN, 
I think probably in a while has gone out and said, maybe we should listen to their points on why they shouldn't do it because he had a stent and he was told and a lot of cardiologists have been telling their patients not to get the not to get the vax for the exact reasons of there may be coagulation issues and the medicine that you may be on may cause havoc inside your bloodstream which is the reason why you're under my care it's also the reason why southwest pilots were not striking, but they, I think they were not picking up extra shifts, um, which caused havoc in the airline because Southwest was not saying, hey, look, if you lose your medical clearance because of the vaccination, because of a complication from the vaccination, they weren't going to back up their pilots and say, you know, what, we'll, we'll, we'll let you retire. We'll cover your retirement, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a heck of a risk to take as a pilot, because if you lose your medical, you've lost your career. Yeah. I mean, you can fight to get it back, but if you can't get it back, you're you're a Walmart greeter. You've gone from making three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, millions of dollars of training, uh, to being, can I get that cart for you? So, I don't blame the pilots for going. You know what? I I'm not going to take the jab if uh, you're not going to back up and something happens. Yeah, it was. Um, for those who haven't watched it, they should watch it. Uh, yeah. It, it it was a good it was a good conversation like you said there's good stories there and i think i think if you came in strongly anti or pro vax or whatever you you left with good thinking points to the other side yep. i think the reason everybody's making a big deal about it is because kind of the journalistic malpractice bit um <laughs> and by saying me. like yeah that was a, i mean where he just said you know and and i'm fine with him being like you know that was a mistake or whatever but mm -hmm. then by saying like you know, we didn't do it or, you know, it got into the lie territory a little bit. And that's kind of yeah. when you go, Oh, that's, that's unfortunate. Right. You know, you don't want to concede ground to, you know, and I think that there's still a good point, even with the ivermectin to be like, Hey, you know, I shouldn't have called it horse dewormer, but at the same time, I don't know that it's effective against COVID. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, it's good for treating liver parasites and that's great. Um, but uh, yeah. there's a lot to be said. And the thing is this, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Okay. Mm -hmm. I understand if you have one study that one study does not guarantee good, bad results. I think that thing is that it gets down to a doctor making the decision um, on what they want to do for the patient. And if they feel that it's going to be, it's going to improve their lives, you know, and the course of the disease, then I think it should be allowed. So, but that gets again, decision between the doctor and not the FDA wandering in and saying that, uh, no, you, you could, just like with hydroxychloroquine where they were saying that you could possibly lose your license if you prescribe this off label. Um, that's to me, is just ridiculous, but we've yeah. totally gone off my piece of my mind, which was yeah. basically, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel it's all relevant there. I mean, everything is every doesn't everything come come back to COVID these days. It's just how it is. Pretty much. There's one one thing I wanted to end on here. Uh, Chris Satan <laughs> has asked, "Isn't it okay to make fun of women based on what we talked about earlier?" Uh, only mean, if they're not making me a sandwich. Yeah, yeah. Only if they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing: there's a good natured ripping, and then there's a there's a bad natured ripping, right? Like mm -hmm. I have talked about issues that I've had on the show before, where somebody like made a meme telling like a trans person to lynch themselves. Right. But That's, the thing is they dislike uh, that person. Right. Like, and so this wasn't a, that wasn't a good natured, like 
haha, that's funny kind of joke. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really wasn't much of a joke at all, right? No. But you know, like I, I do think there's a there's a place where you're just like, like I said, if it's so over the top and obviously ludicrous, you know. Family Guy does this a lot where they're like, can we have a woman in the White House or will she just menstruate all over the Oval <laughs> Office? Right. Like it's it's a ridiculous joke because it's it, what it does. It makes the misogynist look stupid. Right. Like so like that's the that's the joke. Right. You technically had made fun of like a woman technically. But what yeah. it actually did was make fun of the people who make arguments against right. women. Right. Like so this right. is the this is kind of the this is why comedy is intelligent. Right. This is like why a lot of. This is why a lot of smart people get involved with comedy and every brain dead drunken idiot that thinks they can get up to the mic and nail it, like nail comedy, usually do kind of a poor job. Um, You know, I I will, I'm going to finish my thoughts on this because just because we're ending with this as far as making, you know, making fun of women. But, you know, we want to make, we want to make them in on the joke. Like even if Brian is making fun of the girls and he knows they're independent, they know he knows that they're independent. Right. Like with the whole make me a sandwich thing, it's an obvious joke. Right. Like and it's it's made to be like because I know you've built me up that stuff like that is just hilarious because I know that that's not how you feel versus versus saying like, you know, I think this is why it's not funny, for example, when you say that some black guy has Michelin, you know, tire lips. It's like that's not really funny. (laughs) First of all, it's not funny. But secondly, it's because you are angry with him, right? So this isn't a situation where you're talking about somebody that you want to build up, right? This is somebody you dislike. And so you're saying something like that. It's not, and it's not really done in one of those productive ways or even a comedic way. And I understand like comedy doesn't have to be productive. Like it can just make you laugh. But the thing is, is nobody's laughing. So now we need to analyze why is nobody laughing? Okay, here's why nobody's laughing. Right. Like, and this is what I'm trying to explain because it's like, oh, if you're overanalyze it, it's not funny. No, comedy does well under scrutiny. Believe me, like that, like satire was an entire brand of writing in, in, in literary history for like, like a third of the writing was done in satire. Like we understand that comedy is an important part of how it's done, but it can also be analyzed from a literary standpoint. So when we say this held up and this didn't hold up, why didn't it hold up? What made this hold up? Like, you know, why did, did it work? What doesn't what doesn't work about it? You know, I think Chappelle, the reason we're talking about him a lot is because he told one that 50% of the people really are into it and 50% of people are not. And so some people are like, oh, I just thought it was funny. And some people are like, well, I didn't. And it's like, okay, well, now we're at a, now we're at a standstill. You know, this is kind of rough. But as far as like what's funny, I mean, I'm amazed that Seth MacFarlane has made as long as he had without getting canceled. But the reason is, is because he's, tells these in a smart way now does this mean he doesn't tell jokes about race or jokes about women or jokes about stereotypical men no of course not he tells all of those right does he make fun of religion and oh oh goodness yes government institution yes all these things yes he makes fun of a lot of it why why isn't he canceled because he does a good job with it right because you can tell where he stands you know if you're if you're basically like if you have a tattoo of a swastika and you're and you're telling anti-semitic jokes and then you're like oh what you guys don't have a sense of humor it's like yeah but you got tattoo of swastika i think you might be serious like you know what i mean like what you're saying is not done in in for the sake of humor it's done to put somebody down it's done because you don't like them and let's go make fun of them and that's bullying that's not really comedy Brian, your thoughts on, is it okay to make fun of women? As long as you're an equal opportunity offender. That's the way I always looked at it. If you're making fun of 
everybody, you know, Eddie Murphy used to do a really good job of that. Richard Pryor was brilliant at it in a lot of cases. Um, you know, and you can go down the list, Carlin and even Kinnison, maybe even some points and stuff like that. But if, as long as you're an equal opportunity offender, I think you're, that's, a, that's a great place to be. When you become afraid of offending a group just for the sake of, I can't touch that, period. Couldn't make a joke about it. Like, couldn't make a joke about, um, you know, just something that I'm not even going to go down over because I'm going to get myself screwed on that. Um, I'm not a comedian, nor would I ever play one. Um, but there are third rails that that really good comedians know they can go and dance on, and, and like Chappelle and others, and get away with it. Um, <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> that was a great thing about Pryor. He had no fear of of calling anyone out, and. Um, as Dennis said, the, the the whole point was that Richard Pryor canceled. Um, it got canceled by an entire crowd of black people in L.A. for telling a joke about people and black people in L.A. Um, and it was very. I, I I'm trying to remember the exact what he did, but um, it's escaped me. But I, I remember that they were angry at him because he called out something on back in the seventies or eighties. That was, you know, taboo, but he could dance on that third rail. And so can Dave Chappelle and so could George Carlin and a host of other really good comedians could. But now we're seeing it just like what Jerry Seinfeld said like that. There's just so much negative animosity. No one wants to go out for a laugh. Everyone wants to have their team win. Rah, rah, go my team. Uh, no matter what happens. And at that point, it's not funny anymore. Right. You know, if, I, if I'm if I'm going to go out to a crowd and get booed every time because team whatever shows up, I, I don't want to do that. I, I mean, I imagine have fun. We're yeah. looking at, at whether people are registered Republicans or Democrats before we're allowed to laugh at their jokes. Yeah. You know, uh, J- Jamie <laughs> was mentioning she was watching some YouTube videos and there's a lot of times where they say, oh, I love this people, this person, unless they've said anything bad in the past or something. I don't know. But it's like. You just can you just relax? Like obviously, right. if they end up saying something bad, you can be like, "Hey, I thought they were funny. I did not know they were like this." Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's okay. It's okay yeah. if they've said terrible things because I got news for you: we're all human. In the end, we're all going to have terrible viewpoints. I have terrible viewpoints, I'm sure, and I'm sure you, you and I will disagree on a lot of them. But that's okay. My my wife. Yeah, laughed her ass off at Miss Pat. Now she didn't understand ha- about fifty percent of what Miss Pat said, mm-hmm. and she was the target that night for her. But she had a great time laughing at it. And Miss Pat afterwards was like, are, "Are you you good? You good?" My wife <laughs> had a great time. So, but it, you know, the thing is this: Am I going to get mad at my wife for not understanding fifty percent of what she said? No, because you know, my wife grew up in a different culture and different dialect and things like that so it's tougher for her to pick that up maybe something that she's not familiar with but nothing miss pat said was mean nothing was like you're a dumbass or anything like that it was good light-hearted humor that my wife understood and loved so yeah that's it's, the point you can joke about anything as long as it's actually funny yeah, yeah. No, it, it really i think that's a jerry seinfeld 
mm-hmm. it's a misquote, but something like that, you know, that there's really no off topics. And I mean, really, I mean, I watch Seinfeld, but most of those still hold up well, even, even to this, to this day and age, even though things have drastically changed because, you know, it was just, like you said, equal opportunity offender, you know, yeah. like just, just get about making fun of everybody. Anyhow, like I, I love the analysis of comedy just because I'm not a master of comedy. I, I, I I'm a great appreciator um but i'm certainly not a uh, a master by any means and it's fun to kind of see to hear their process i listened to dion curry once talked about like why the timing works and why it doesn't work and uh he's a great friend of the show of course he's on the miss pat you know podcast uh <clears throat> the pat down uh and he and uh, he's he had some good insights and it's interesting to see when you talk about why certain things work or don't you know i, I can be an actor in a play that's funny and get it but I'm certainly not going to be able to write one. Um, yeah. And that's a, it's just kind of something I'm, I'm exploring a little bit, you know, as I, as I write more to be like, if I were to add a little bit of humor, what, what would help, what would help this? Um, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Uh, I really appreciate it. We're sorry we missed Lou here today. So I yeah. apologize if the, this, this, we, we lacked our left libertarian, Brian. Yeah. So. Uh, mostly due to Bill Gates uh keeping her out so i mean she sent a picture of a nice blue screen oh yeah wonder <laughs> yeah, you're wonder i 100 getting your computer ready for you it's only yeah. been to uh, most two hours so kids just let's be honest get a mac it just works you're Ooh. welcome <laughs> for the sake of ending this conversation soon i'm just gonna end this now because if i don't it's gonna be in every five hours anyhow thank you all so much for coming in i appreciate it again thank you for the listens brian thank you for making the time as always every week thank you. Uh, you, go bears go broncos it'll be a better week next week hopefully <laughs> Bye, oh, no we're, bears are playing brady god it's gonna be oh terrible. no oh, it's oh, gonna no. be terrible oh i think we're playing the browns next week and they got whooped, but they got yeah. whooped by a really good Cardinals team. So. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna be. We'll see. I hope uh, Vic's, I hope Vic's doing well. I miss Vic Fangio as our defensive coordinator. Oh, I thought so. you were talking about Michael Vick. No, like... Vic Fangio. No. <laughs> okay, no, I was like, you miss Vic. Michael Vick. No. All right, now how? Now we have to delay the program. No, I. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, everybody. Good night. Kisses. Bye, bye, bye. Mm.